The following is a hoop ball presentation. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of On the Fly, brought to you by HoopBall.com. We're providing in-flight insight for all Pella fans out there. I'm your host, Nick Garisco, and I'm here, as always, with Pelicans expert Michael Pelache. You can find him on Twitter at Mike underscore Pelicans. I'm at Fantasy Law Guy. Pelache, last time we spoke, we were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. We had just... Uh, taking the defending champs to overtime on the road without our best player. And we were feeling pretty optimistic uh, since our last episode. However, the Pelicans have had three games and we lost our home opener to the Mavericks, 116-123. to We lost at Houston, 126-123. to I think I said that score twice. I meant the Mavericks game was 116-123. to Lost to Houston, 126 to 123. And at that point, we're thinking, hey, you know, slow start, but we got some rotation issues. We're competing with some of these good teams and we're playing hard, but we're just not closing, uh, which is to be expected by a young team. But then last night, we get pantsed by the struggling Warriors team. Uh, at home in a game where I think the final score, I think we ended up losing by nine or something. The final score didn't really reveal the blowout nature of the game. So after one week of the NBA season, the Pels are in a hole at 0-4. Uh, Michael, is it time to panic? It's it's not time to panic, but uh, I think calling it getting pants was a really good analogy. Uh, last game was rough. I actually think there are a lot of positive takeaways from the first three game, three games, but last game was was really really rough. Yeah, the Warriors were just coming off a, and I don't know if this made them play harder. Uh, they got embarrassed by OKC, uh, uh, I think a night or two prior to that game, and I think at I, I'd have to check the stats here, the numbers here, but I believe at some point when I was gonna throw. Scrolling through my fantasy scores here, and I have a couple of OKC players. I got Paul and and Gilgis Alexander, who's been great this year, by the way. But I, and I was looking at his game, and I saw on his uh, box score that the Oklahoma City Thunder were up on the Warriors like one ten to I think it was seventy three or something like that in the third quarter, and I was like. Whoa, whoa, that cannot be right. I thought ESPN was like making a mistake, so I went and looked at the score center app, and sure enough, I mean, the Warriors got dominated by the Oklahoma City Thunder, and there was some talk the next day about how they were kind of, uh, you know, they haven't been the same, obviously. I know that, you know, Draymond's been dealing with injuries. I know that they have to, you know, have life without Clay and KD, but this is a Warriors team that isn't near as good as the Warriors have been in the last couple of years. And I don't know if this embarrassment by OKC made them play harder or show up for that Pelicans game to kind of rebound. But, wow, I mean, they really kind of embarrassed us there, right? Yeah, and there's a really good article that came out today. The guy's last name escapes me. Oh, Ethan Strauss, that's right. So Ethan Strauss wrote this article about Golden State and how one of the things that they're really having trouble with is that their offense was designed to be for very high IQ players who can make reads within the the flow of the offense. 
And because they lost Durant, they also lost Iguodala. They really don't have the kind of depth that they had before. And not that they were just the most amazing deep Sean team, Livingston but they too. were extremely stacked. Yeah, yeah, Livingston as well. They had a, they had, were just stacked with people who could make decisions on the fly. And they also had just an incredible amount of top-tier talent and shooting. And so that offense was perfect for them. But now they're they're sort of adjusting to not having that sort of talent and it's it's been yeah they've been pretty bad I, yeah that, so it's not it's not great when a really bad team beats up on you um i hope it was an aberration and not a, a signal of things to well come. the pelicans obviously weren't able to take advantage of the I'll, I'll call it the lack of chemistry so far with the warriors what did you think the main issue was in that golden state game if I had to say any, I, I mean, this is going to be an overarching concept, but this, our defense is just not good at all. It's Right now we're ranked 29th, and uh, it, it showed in a lot of ways last night. I actually thought the energy wasn't very good. I hate defaulting to that kind of analysis. No, but that but was I, the I first game. Flat. You're right. That was the first game where the Pelicans just showed up flat. I mean, that happens in sports, they were, right? Yeah. Yeah, that does happen. I, it's, you know— I'm not as concerned right now. If it continues to happen, I'll be concerned because that is one thing we shouldn't be struggling with because we have young yeah, legs. And it shouldn't happen at but home. But I would say either. that – no, and I what I didn't like, though, was really execution beyond it. So it wasn't just that they were dead. It was that they were making really, really foolish decisions. I thought – you know, one of the things that Golden State does really well is they'll get you really high. So basically where all your defenders are, are foul line and above – and what happens is that leaves a lot of openings for people to cut and cut to the basket and get open looks. Um, there are a lot of read and react plays, not as many as before, like I said, from, from Strauss's article. But I thought that the Pelicans really, they got back cut so many times where they were anticipating something happening. And because they had no help, they would go and do something. And, and man, they got like layup after layup. And it, it just kind of ugly. I mean, I, kind of ugly is actually an understatement. It really was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen in a, in a good while for the Pelicans. It, not, not good. So you're mentioning a lot about back cuts and everything like that. That seems schematic. And I'm wondering if you put a lot of the, uh, I, I don't want to call it blame, but reason for the loss on potentially coaching because I know Alvin Gentry admitted after the game that he got out coached today I mean he said the players got outplayed too but I like the fact that a coach will say hey we you know put him in there and get admit that he got out coached too but do you think there's any credence to that I would say that if it were coaching I would say the biggest problem I've had is that they just don't seem like they're getting the defensive system. I mean, that when you're ranked 29th, there's something going wrong. I, I don't think it's defensive talent. I, I do think that having only one true rim protector is hurting us right now. Um, we can get to Jackson Hayes playing a little bit more later, but I would say that beyond the personnel, I mean, I, I do think that there are some real issues with the way that people are adapting to the system. Now, now whether that is the players just not being, you know, clever, not clever enough. That's not the right word for it, but the players not being seasoned enough to get that kind of system, or if it's the way that it's being implemented, I don't know that, but I can tell you that there it's not working right now. And I don't know who to blame for that. Jackson Hayes did come in and he actually was quite impressive. It was kind of in garbage time. And I know we've had injuries. Derek favor has been hurt and uh, Okafor wasn't exactly playing well by any stretch of the imagination yesterday against Golden State. And so Jackson Hayes came in and actually did 
pretty well. I mean, I mean, it was probably about as good as an opening effort is you're going to get from a rookie. He had 19 points. He was 9 of 11, which is great. Uh, three boards, one steal, one block, one assist, and he played 24 minutes. Now, we've talked about Jackson Hayes ad nauseum actually before you know the season started. But the consensus of what we were saying is if we see too much of Jackson Hayes, it's probably bad news for the Pelicans, right? Because it probably means, A, something wasn't working, B, we had injuries, or C, we're moving more towards that developmental um, or player developmental part of the percentage that we talked about as opposed to win now. Um, However, Jackson Hayes really did impress. So what did you make of Jackson Hayes getting the playing time, and what did you make of his game? I thought he really was what we expected him to be. Jackson Hayes is probably one of the top five or ten guys running to the rim in the NBA. He's just a phenomenal athlete. He's got a pretty good dexterity for a guy his size. He's got outrageous leaping ability, um, and he's got the length in addition to that. So Zion is, is an explosive leaper, but Zion isn't nearly as long or as tall as Jackson Hayes. And we saw it on one of the alley-oops last night. It was probably a little bit behind where it should have been. I, I think it was from Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But, man, like, he went up and got it. Draymond, Draymond actually got a good uh, break on it. He thought he was going to go and grab it. And then Hayes just got up and just, just destroyed the rim. And I, that that's all, like, stuff that we expect, though. Like, that's not new to know that Jackson Hayes can dunk and, and leap out of the gym. I think that what he does offer us is he, he does put pressure on the rim. And I mean that in the sense of he's one of the few guys where he's rolling, where he commands just so much respect, and he gives you that vertical spacing. But I'd say, like, the, obviously the downside of that is he's sort of lost on defense. So despite being really energetic and really athletic, you lose some things in terms of your overall defense because he's in the wrong spots. And and one of the things that you just asked me about earlier, Favors being hurt, as much as Favors hasn't been outstanding at all, I, I would say that he's been less than what I anticipated. Favors is a really good defender, and so is Drew. So we're missing our two basically probably our two best defenders um, Lonzo might be thrown in there with favors, but we're missing those two guys, and we have a lot of young people in conjunction. So, like, that's, that's not a great recipe. Right. I'm interested to see how m- much playing time Jackson Hayes gets when a guy like Favors returns. I- I'm wondering if Jackson Hayes is put in addition uh, – sorry, put in an audition. Uh, that's, that's a lot to say there. Put in an audition <laughs> – for more playing time like ahead of Jaleel Okafor or Melly? I think, well, I, I tell you what, man, I, Melly's defense, I got to be honest, it's it's been pretty rough. I mean, I have to go back and look at it more before I get too down on it, but he's just slow, and I, I don't want to make it that simple, but really your ability to react to things is dependent on how quickly you see things, but also how quickly your actual body can right. move, and the, the guy is just slow. Like, I... I, I want to say it was Harden. I can't remember who he was defending, but I remember he got, like, he was a help defender on some sort of, like, pick-and-roll action, and he just got, I mean, the guy just went right by him like he was standing still, and, and that's what it looked like, too. Like, he's just not, he's not quick in space, and there's only so much you can do. You can position yourself very well, but as the play develops, there will be times where you might have to just cover ground, and there's no real substitute for quickness in those scenarios. So Melly does offer a lot on offense, and, and certainly having a pick-and-pop pick big is going to be helpful, but you, the defense is the issue right now. So, you know, you don't have any rim protection with Melly if he's playing the five, and, and that could be an issue. It's a a pick-and-pop big is also 
is pretty valuable, of course, because he can shoot. But you don't really see him driving to the basket that much. I mean, he seems kind of one-dimensional, if you ask me. Like, he's got a great shot for a big man, but I'm not really seeing him make the plays that, or even try to make the plays that somebody like Jackson Hayes would do if he's going to, you know, if he gets, if he drives, if he goes to the rim, you know, Jackson Hayes is either going to get that alley-oop or get, you know, a pass and then drive there. So it's it's just, I'm not seeing the versatility there from, from Melly. I think everybody at this point knows after game one that he's probably going to take the outside shot more than move inside with the ball or back anyone down or anything like that. Yeah, there there were a few. He did have three or four switches where he had a smaller guy on him and he took him into the mid post. But the shots that he was getting were like these turnaround shots. I actually think he made two or three of them at least. Um, I know he missed at least one. But I'd say that that's not the best offense. Like you're not – you want to construct your offense in a way where you're drawing double teams and a fadeaway shot is not – like even if he's making those, yeah. that that's not the kind of high-quality offense that you want to be producing. Right. Yeah, it's not a high percentage shot anytime you're fading away, you know, more than, I don't know, 15 feet away from the basket. But although Melly is a good shooter, uh, I think that Melly's been pretty much up to expectations that, you know, one could expect, one of us could have expected going into the season. But let's talk about some players who have either exceeded or kind of disappointed us. us, as, us personally, of course, we're personally disappointed. Uh, I think one, obviously, and you could be personally disappointed here, is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Uh, we've mentioned Derek Favors already. Uh, it's tough to, you know, I don't want to put too much more time on him. It's tough to evaluate how healthy he really is. I know he had the hamstring going in. I know that now he's having right knee soreness, and I think he's had knee problems in the past, so that's He's already questionable or a game-time decision for the uh, game on Thursday against the Nuggets. So, you know, we're going to exclude favors from this for now until we kind of get more of a, a feel for how healthy he has been. But obviously, I think it's fair to say, though, that we expected more from favors going in. And you did say that earlier. But let's talk about Nikhil Alexander-Walker because we both saw him in preseason and the summer league, and he looked like a totally different player. And we talked about how much stock we should put into the summer league. You said pretty much nil. We talked about how much stock we should put in preseason. And, you know, a little bit if the, if the skills are transferable. But we both had higher expectations on Naw here, and he's just really been, I mean, I can't put it any other way than disappointing. Uh, or I, I should say I should say raw, to rhyme it with his uh, nickname here of Naw. I think he looks r- more raw than we expected. What are your thoughts on why he's not kind of panning out the way that uh, the hype kind of portrayed? I think we definitely, I, I know me personally, I, I certainly hyped him up probably more than I should have. I would say that, I mean, I did. I, I just was super excited. I, I actually think that a lot of the defensive stuff that I saw that made me really excited is still there. I think he's a really, really smart player. I think he's getting it defensively much more quickly than a typical rookie would. I would say where offense has clearly not been good, uh, part of that is going to be a shooting regression. He's not shooting nearly as well as he was in preseason and and in summer league, like you said. 
some of that is going to be because of him adjusting to the pace of the game and some of that's just going to be bad luck i mean it's it's a game of randomness like you're gonna have no matter how good or no matter how bad you are you're gonna shoot sometimes in a way that's opposite of that like a great shooter will have a shooting slump a poor shooter will have a, a couple nights a year where they'll go like four for five from three or something do you think like it's that. more so, of a shooting slump or do you think it's more of him being a rookie or is it kind of a combination of both both yeah i'd say that what what i what has been very clear to me is that he's gonna be someone at least right now who's an outside in player and one of the reasons that is is because he's not really i'd say he has a very good first step i think he navigates pick and rolls really well but i think he's someone to where once he gets past that initial uh layer of defense i really don't think he's that good at finishing like and he's always driving left like if you ever watch him he's almost always trying to get to his left and he's throwing his passes with his left hand off the dribble. And what he tries to do is, when he tries to get to the rim, he'll try to body his guy. But he's not particularly strong. He's not particularly explosive vertically. And he's not particularly crafty yet near the rim. So, like, what's happening is, really anything besides a gimme, he's not finishing at the run of the rim. What I did like last night was that he actually... And again, he's going left every single time. And uh, Schmidt was saying that actually one of the Golden State Warriors players said always left while he was driving. And uh, that's certainly been true. So what he did was, I think it was in the fourth quarter or near the end of the third, he actually had a couple drives where he spun on them. And that's often what you can get around in overplay. So is it something to be excited about and say, no, it's solved now? No. Um, He's still going to have some of the same issues. But I, I think he's really just, he's struggling to finish near the rim. And he's struggling to adjust the pace of play because his some of his passes have been like we talked about like him taking chances and stuff like right. that this summer and he'll how he probably won't work in as a rookie. Um, I would say that the way that he's passing though, it's not even just the passes he's making. It's like he's he doesn't have enough mustard on him. He's throwing them really soft and like they're kind of like slowly dribbling out to players when they're you know certain types of passes like they're not reaching the players. I think he's adjusting, it, it, but yeah, it's been ugly, and I, I'm, uh, I'm ashamed of, of falling victim to overhyping him. Honestly, well, you know what? It's still really early, right? You can still look like a genius if he becomes. That's my hope. You know, any even like a borderline all star, anything like that. Uh, even if he becomes like a really, really strong NBA player, I mean, or NBA starter, I should say. I mean, you're still gonna look. Uh, you're still going to look good making that prediction there. And it is just, it's four games. It feels like a big hole. It feels like it's been so long since we've last talked, right? Like, I can't believe, like, the tone of the podcast, how different it is after that first uh, podcast, after the first regular season game, episode seven, and now episode eight. I am feeling very pessimistic here. And I'm, I'm just... I just don't I don't know. I, I hate to I hate to fall victim of being like that typical fan who's like, oh, you know, you know, woe is our team, like the season's over and stuff like that. But I really am starting to believe that this first year is more of a developmental year with Zion. You know, it's more of a it, we're, we're rebuilding more than people think. And I don't think we put enough emphasis on the fact that, uh, you know, 12 or 18 players on our roster were not Pelicans last year, and we're really struggling with that. Now, what one thing that gives me solace there is that you mentioned in your schedule analysis, and I think episode three or four of this podcast, that 
we start out with a rough, rough schedule. And so far, it has looked that way, right? I mean, the Mavericks are a borderline playoff team, uh, you know, just like we were supposed to be and we could be still. The Obviously, the defending champs, obviously the Rockets, and then the Warriors, who we don't really know how they're going to – you know, they've been very inconsistent this season, but I think people, you know, still respect the Warriors, obviously. So, yeah, it's rough in the Western Conference, and it's rough to start the season – and it's rough without Zion Williamson. But I'm afraid that if we drop a few more games, not a few, but I'm afraid that if this pace continues, by the time we do get Zion back, which could be you know January 1st, 2020, that the season may be already lost. What what do you I would yeah, say? What do you think? Well, I, I I'm not in panic mode yet, and the reason I'm not is we're missing our I'm two best there. players. So. So when you miss your two best players, almost any team is going to struggle. Again, like so, Golden State is missing just one of its best. I I, I would say Clay is. It's hard for me to judge Clay versus Dray, Draymond because they're such different players. But I mean, I'd say that Clay is is extremely impactful in their offense. Obviously, I think most most NBA teams you take away even just one of their top two guys, they're going to struggle for a while. And will they struggle as much as we struggle? Actually, you know, it's funny, though. I, I don't feel like we've struggled that much. Yeah, no, I mean, three we of the four games, we were in them. We the were end. in them against very good teams. Yeah. So, like, I, it feels really bad, and it, it looks really bad. But I would say that we're not – the Golden State game was the only one where I said, whoa, this sucks. Yeah. Like, that took – it Pelicans. took me back to the, yeah. the worst of the AD days where, like, exactly. it was just lifeless basketball. So, I, I won't go crazy with it now. I think what is important, though – I'm wondering how much of these injuries are like really serious injuries that players could play through or injuries where it's telling you what their direction is for this season. Yes. And yet because maybe maybe Favors would be playing in another, you know, another world where the team was really intentional about making the playoffs. Same with Drew, like the amount of injuries that have happened the surgery is obviously the surgery. Zion is going to be like you don't yeah, no. you don't do a surgery to be like slightly conservative. Like you do a surgery because it's needed. So what I would say is that with Favors and Drew is maybe there are like some indications with the way that they're handling it that this is a team where they aren't going to put any other players at any risk whatsoever. And and every NBA team I really can't emphasize this enough. Like players throughout the year they're almost all hurt. They're dealing with something, like whatever that issue is. It is and a little so, odd that all of our star players here are, have knee. It's always the knee for Drew, for Favors, yeah. and for Zion. All the knee. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I would say I know Drew worked out a lot with AD's guy, and uh, Frank Jackson was out there too. I actually think Jaleel was out there as well. With uh, Drew as a, a strength guy, is Mike something? I mean, it's just a coincidence, um, I'm sure, but I'm just saying it's oh, a little sure. odd. It is odd. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I mean, I I guess it's not as strange given that Favors and Zion have already had any issues. But, but that makes it more concerning, uh, though, in terms of probably, rest, yeah. right? Yeah, I think you have to get to be careful with anything that's a repeat offender. I mean, that's a chronic condition. Like, you're you're going to be managing that at that point. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not great. But I guess, like, that's my point is it's maybe not as concerning. And, again, this season – as much as I got really excited about the prospect of playoffs, I was obviously super excited about, you know, Zion and Alexander Walker and all that. I would say that, you know, this season is, is about developing those top guys. And I think you can look no further than we've talked about 25 minutes at this point, And we haven't mentioned Brandon Ingram, 
who has been absolutely excellent yeah, he has been. since game one. Well, and when I say since game one, I should say after game one. I actually didn't think he played that well in game one, and I really wasn't that impressed in the preseason. But that guy, man, ever since Drew went down, and maybe it's because he knows what he's going to be asked to do, but that guy has been really, really good. And a lot of the things that were I was concerned about, primarily playmaking on offense and in terms of distributing to his teammates, like he's showing a lot of promise in those areas. What is his and so, three point percentage? I mean, he is hitting threes like he never has before in his career. It's been pretty remarkable because I never really considered Brandon Ingram as a three point shooter going into the season, even when he was scoring well as the guy uh, sans LeBron late last year. His game was more kind of driving in and a little bit of ice ball and you know making plays that way. He wasn't really like this you know, big three point threat. Now, I mean, he's hitting, it seems like he's hitting two or three a game and on good uh, efficiently. I might add, I'm pretty, I've been pretty impressed with this three point shooting. Well, so he's not going to, he's not obviously going to shoot 50% for the rest of the year, but I agree. I've also been impressed. And I think it's really the way that he's choosing his threes as well. Like I, I would say for the most part, he's choosing good threes. He's taking a lot of corner threes right now. So when he's not on the ball, he's sitting in the corner a whole lot in, in terms of like actually where he's going to be positioned in the three-point line. I think he has the second most three-point attempts from the corner of the season behind P.J. Tucker. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say it's the three-point shooting is looking promising. I think the distribution on the move, which is what my biggest concern was after watching him a little bit this preseason in that first game, I think that's getting better. Uh, I thought his defense against Porzingis with the Mavs was very that. impressive. I was just about to say that. I mean, he, yeah. kinda, he held him to two for seven in the second half of that game, I believe. And we had no answers for Porzingis in the first half when Ingram yep. wasn't on him. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't recall who was on him, but it wasn't Ingram. And when Ingram started locking onto him in the second half, it was – I, I guess I shouldn't say it changed the game because the Mavericks still ended up winning. We couldn't stop Luka Doncic, who, by the way, I think is just so phenomenal. And I also think Luka is, side note here, I think Luka is very underrated. I think a lot of people don't really consider him already like a, a top 10 or top 8 talent in the NBA, but I'm already there, man. I don't care how young he is. I, I think that that guy is unreal um, just watching him. I, I think he's an unbelievable talent, and I, I would – I don't know. How do you feel about putting him in the top 10 uh, right now? Oh, um, he's close. Uh, if he's not there, he's really yeah, close. He's, he's that I was good. just really I, impressed It really is just him. experience. I think a yeah, lot of plays, me is bitter because yeah. I, I was targeting him like all offseason for like my second round pick in our fantasy basketball league. And then like Eric Weller took him like 10 spots higher than his ADP should have indicated. And I was so upset uh, I don't even know who I ended up picking in the second round. I think it was Beal or something like that. And I've just been – so I've been like kind of game-watching uh, – or not game-watching, but box score-watching Luka Doncic, like imagining what if, you know. <laughs> and he's just been so incredible. But, uh, but yeah, back to the point here. Ingram did a phenomenal job on Perzingis, and, uh, and he's been impressive in other games defensively too. And he kind of – they – uh, what what's the Van Gundy kind of went into a, a one of his little rants about how he's deceptively strong, you know, when they were they were on national TV, and I thought that was pretty funny because they were talking about how skinny he looks and how good of a defender he's been lately. 
Yeah, he was really great. And I, I do think that you were correct in saying that it did change the game for the Pelicans once Ingram went on Porzingis. I think mostly because the Pelicans had no answer for the pick and pop. Um, one thing about Porzingis that is, look, that guy, man, holy crap, that guy, the way he defended the rim was like, like as, no one's going to get a shot yeah, off. Like, no one's even going to get the ball yeah. to the rim. Um, but once he was on offense, I thought he settled a lot. And I, But I do think the pick and pop w- with him and uh, Luka was really hard for us to stop. And I thought that Ingram's mobility in conjunction with his length, i got to stop using that word so much. I use it all the time. Um, but he's like, like a 7'4 wingspan. Yeah. And so I, I think that moving someone like that where he is mobile but also long like that really helped our defense. Um, our defense certainly has a lot of issues, so anything we can do to shore it up is going to be appreciated. Uh, I just been I've been really uh, Ingram to me has been unequivocally our best yeah, player. Yeah, and they asked him uh, after the game. They said uh I think one reporter went straight up and said, "Hey, do you know you held Ingram I mean, do you know you held Kristaps to uh 2 for 7 uh in the second half of the game when you were guarding him one on one?" And he said it should have been 0 for 7. That was his response. <laughs> I was like, "Okay." That's funny. Jeez. I didn't know. Uh, I'm wondering if they included too. I, Drew switched on to him towards the end of that game as well. So I, I Drew had a couple possessions yeah. on him at the very end of that game. But I mean, regardless of it all, I thought Ingram did a fantastic job. And and really, I, I've been that's been the silver lining for me. Is this is about building up those top players that we received both in the trade and our our, our rookies. Like you want those guys. You want two or three of those guys to really pan right. out. And I think Ingram is right now. It looks like there's not really any competition. Ingram yeah, we have is something there. Definitely, yeah. Besides Zion, who you know, I hope he can stay healthy. And I, I would say, besides Zion, there's no one else on this team long term that looks anything like Ingram at this moment. I think you know it is about player development, of course. And but I think that all the Pelicans, Pella fans out there, would feel much better if Drew Holiday just had one of those you know, 30-point games, you know, eight assists, three steals, one or two blocks, like one of those crazy monster lines that everybody is not accustomed to because he doesn't do it every game. But everybody knows that Drew Holiday is capable of. I think a lot of people, that would make a lot of Pella fans out there more optimistic about the team because I think that there's some genuine concern that for whatever reason, Drew Holiday has kind of uh, regressed a little. I wouldn't go that far yet. I, I think it's still too early to get. People like tend to be really harsh on Drew. I, I would say that this is something that we've seen from Drew multiple years. Like Drew is just someone that, for whatever reason, there are just times where he's not super aggressive. And aggressive Drew is unstoppable. Right. And I, I don't think that we're done seeing that. I think he was acclimating to his teammates. I think given what we're seeing from Ingram, I, I think it makes sense that he was acclimating because you see what happens when Ingram is the guy. And I, I think at this point, it, it's possible that Ingram is the guy when Drew gets back. It, if he's playing anything like this, I mean, I just don't – no one else puts pressure on the rim like Ingram in terms of our, our, I guess, say starting players. And I would say that he's also – he can see over the defense. He's extremely good scoring one-on-one. Um, extremely good as a stretch. I'm sorry. Let me take it down a notch. He's a very good one-on-one scorer, and I think he's learning to initiate the offense really well. I, I've been, I've been, yeah, I've been really happy with it. Do you think that? I just thought of this a second ago. Do you think that David Griffin's comments 
on Drew Holiday about him being an MVP candidate. The, the goal of those comments, obviously, was to take less pressure off Zion Williamson. Do you think that it might have accidentally or ironically put more pressure on Drew and now fans are kind of a little upset that he's not living up to those lofty expectations? I think they would have been upset no matter what, but I do think that it probably didn't help matters. Yeah. But I think what's nice about Drew is, like, Drew is the guy that can take that hit. Yeah, that's true. Not to go all Dark Knight on it, but, I mean, he's a guy who can take those hits, and his reputation is already solidified. Like, Drew is a, a great player that's not changing anytime yeah. soon, and I, I, I think he'll show that at some point. I think one of the reasons that he's underrated, too, by by most fans, is even, even non-Pella fans, is that uh, his specialty is on defense, and I think that, you know, unless you're getting ridiculous steal numbers or block numbers, which doesn't really indicate, especially blocks, like don't really indicate how great, you know, somebody is on defense. You know, games like, you know, that Portland series when he's shutting down Damian Lillard, people aren't seeing that like in the box score. And they're not able to watch all these Pelicans games because we were really never on national TV until Zion, often until Zion came around. So, um, I think basically because Drew's expertise is on the defensive side of the ball, it makes people less um, less appreciative of what he does for the team. Yeah, and he's always someone who I think is going to not get quite the recognition that he deserves because of his nature. Oh, like that's I, true, too. He's very I think quiet. People, people want to anoint. Like, everything with analysis, I feel like one of the things that fans often tend to do is they tend to – scapegoat but they also do the opposite whatever player is the best on his team they just assume that they're winning championships or whatever because of that one player and in reality it's just not a it's just not that simple it never is no matter how good the player is like it's never as simple as just like this is the only guy like Michael Jordan it wasn't that way until he got Pippen it wasn't that way with LeBron until he joined forces with D Wade like you can't it's just not how it works and I think to some degree players who are not like that players who were sort of I don't want to call them Drew is not an alpha I wouldn't call him yeah. that kind of person like he's not a domineering play person in, in terms of his personality and I, I've never looked at that as a bad thing like I think that's all fine it's great to have an alpha so like you but you can't have seven alphas that just doesn't work right. so like you have to have a mix and that's why you need both of them so I do think every team I think, needs yeah. at least one though I, I do yeah I agree yeah. I agree Right, and that's like that's not Drew is not really that guy, and I you know through talking with some of the other Bourbon Street shots guys, I think they were even saying that that Drew started to kind of say like to Griffin like or not to Griffin, but about all the hype that Griffin was was putting out there. You know, this is not I'm not really a vocal leader by nature. Like that's not how I do it, and and not as like an act of rebellion against Griffin, but just as a look, I'm not really built that way, and I love it because that was the opposite of what happened with Davis because Davis is the same way as Drew, but the only difference between Davis and Drew, besides the fact that, you know, Davis is more talented, is that Davis tries to be something that he's not. Like, he's not... If, if you ask anybody in that Los Angeles Lakers locker room who the real leader was and, like, all this talk about this me Davis's team, please. Like, the, it's LeBron's team, yeah. and it should be LeBron's team. And Davis is amazing in a secondary role. So, like, don't... I don't, I, I don't like the... What's the word for it? It, it just feels ingenu- it, disingenuous to do that. 
So one player, not to shift gears here though, but let's let's keep up the positivity here. We were talking about how Brandon Ingram has exceeded expectations. There's been another player that I think has exceeded a lot of expectations, uh, especially in mine, Josh Hart, right? I mean, he's been, I, I don't want to call him the real deal, but he has just been a nice, pleasant surprise. I think I used that same term in the last episode, but it's, it's not just one game now. Like we're seeing multiple games. Yes, the first game was his best game, but he's still playing a big role for the Pel- Pelicans right now, and he's still doing a lot of the nitty gritty. He's rebounding well, and uh, and he's scoring, and he's playing a lot more minutes than we thought he was going to opening the season. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on Josh Hart? One of the first things, and I was looking at the stats earlier, and it, it stuck out to me, is that Josh Hart actually has the second most free throws on our team. Wow. And he's only down by one to Ingram, who has a lot more shots. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that Josh Hart has done very well, I think Josh Hart has balanced being aggressive without being over-aggressive. And I think he knows his role. Josh Hart looks so Josh Hart's a good player, and I, I've been so happy with what he's done. But I think... You know, Josh Hart is the guy who works off of the other primary guys. Like, he's never going to be, in my mind, a guy who is a number one or number two option on a team. Right. But with that said, he knows his role. He's aggressive within his role, feels it out, plays good defense. His help on the boards has been nice because our, our, our rebounding right now is absolutely atrocious. And that's one of the reasons that we're struggling so much defensively is because we can't close possessions. So... Like any help that we're getting from anybody outside of a big is just just all gravy right now, and I think Hart has really, in my mind, I mean he's he's one of our, at this moment he is one of our best players, and I, I wouldn't have predicted it, I certainly didn't, and I think you know I don't know if it continues once we get healthy bodies back. I think he'll be more like a sixth or seventh guy, but I've been very pleased with what I've seen so far, and yeah, I, I love the guy. He's a great, he's a fan favorite too. Yeah, he definitely is. I mean, he's always posting ever since the moment that he stepped foot in New Orleans. I'd argue even before he stepped foot in New Orleans, he has been all aboard the Pelicans train. I mean, and all aboard the New Orleans train. He's been. Uh, he tweeted the other day, "Go Tigers!" And I was like, you know, this guy didn't go to LSU. Like, what, what, what is he doing? Uh, and then, but no, but he's all, he's all about, you know, New Orleans, Louisiana sports. I mean, he loves it down here, which I think is just great for the locker room. It's, it's great all around. He's a funny personality to follow on Twitter. Uh, so I suggest, you know, anyone listening to this podcast should, uh, go give him a follow for sure. Uh, obviously you're going to go give us a follow definitely. But, uh, let, Michael, before we sign off, let's talk about that Nuggets game on Thursday. Drew Holiday is... I believe he's questionable. I believe he practiced today. And then we got Derek Favors. It's already been revealed that he's going to be a game-time decision. If I had to guess, uh, that probably means that he's more likely than not. I mean, sorry, less likely than not to play. Um, I don't expect him to suit up if he's having, you know, still having knee soreness. Uh, obviously, we're still without Zion Williamson. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, Nuggets are a good team. It's another good opponent that we have to play. Uh, I know uh, Nikola Jokic has gotten off to a uh, kind of a slow start. He's kind of notorious for that. But but still, the Nuggets are a great team. Um, what are your expectations uh, against Denver? I, d- I don't know, honestly, because if they play like they did in the first three games, I think they'll be 
somewhat competitive. That at least helps that we're at home because Denver's a really, really tough place to play. That's true. I would say that, I mean, they're just a better team. Like, clearly, like, even if we were at full strength, that is a better team than the one that we have. I think, you know, one thing that we do have is we can get out and run, and that would probably tire out Jokic some. But, I mean, I think he's going to pick apart our defense. Like, if you talk about people who can make read and react passes, that guy's up there with anybody. And I I think he's going to pick us apart. I really hope Favors plays. Uh, It would certainly be nice if Drew played as well. Um, I I think they're going to win that game, honestly. I, I kind of – but, again, it's not like, you know, even if they're going to beat us 80 or 85% of the time, like the way that the NBA schedule works is that you're not trying to – it's not every game turning out the way that it's supposed to. Like you can beat a team who's better than you, and you can lose to a team that's much worse than you. So really what I'm looking for is in the next few games is I'm looking for us to win a couple. You know, just like a couple just to sort of like get some air. I mean, I think we can beat the Thunder – I think it's possible to beat the Nuggets. I don't think we should be favored, obviously, and I don't think Vegas will either. But if you're talking about the Nuggets, Thunder, and the Nets, I think we can get one of those games, even though two of them on the road. So I want at least one of those two. Um, Two of the three would be fantastic and would be a a little bit of breath of fresh air after all the hoopla in the first few games. So yeah. Definitely, I'm 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 a little less optimistic. I, I'm hoping we can get one game in that next three right there. Uh, but uh, Michael, you're taking a a pilgrimage in Spain, so you're going to be out the next two weeks. I'm going to have to do the podcast uh, without you. Hopefully, I'll be able to bring on some uh, some guests to help me out here. Yeah, I will be. I'll be praying for the Pelicans. Uh, <laughs> <'cause> they, <laughs> well, why don't yeah, you kind of describe no, right. your journey uh, uh, for people who don't know? Yeah, so I'll be uh, I'll be going to uh, I'm be walking the Camino and uh yeah it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a true pilgrimage not really knowing where i'm gonna be you know any given night just stay in a hostel that that seems to to be the right time along the way and uh losing some weight i hope um and that's that's really it you're gonna be hiking a lot i guess yeah hiking a whole lot um and uh, so it's in spain right it is yeah and how long are you gone for you're trying to get my house robbed? No, I'm kidding. My, my roommates are going to be home, so it wouldn't matter. Yeah, that's um, true. So I'll be gone for like seven or eight days. So I'll miss this uh, next podcast. And uh, I guess it depends on how we time the one after that. Gotcha. I don't know what the time difference is there. So I don't know if you're going to be uh, you know, up at like three. I, I Actually, I don't know what your electricity situation is, honestly, on this pilgrimage. So, But if you find yourself in a situation where you can't even watch a Pelicans game, which I'm not even sure you will be able to, uh, it might be at like 3 a.m. or something like that. Yeah, I will not. I can tell you this. Uh, my, part of my pilgrimage is not going to be watching the Pelicans at an odd hour, so I'll be uh, watching all those games well after the fact on DVR. I gotcha. Yeah, you don't want to ruin your trip. Anymore. No, I'm just, I'm just messing. <laughs> I'm just messing. No, hopefully we can get some wins uh, while you're gone, and maybe maybe your pilgrimage is just what the Pelicans need to kind of uh, <laughs> pick things up here. All right, that's, that's, yeah. good. that's got to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to On The Fly, the official Pelicans podcast for HoopBall.com, in-flight insight for all the sharpest Pella fans out there. Hey, as a reminder, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe to On The Fly and give us a great rating on iTunes or whatever your podcast provider is. You can follow us on Twitter at Mike underscore Pelicans, and I'm at FantasyLawGuy. See you next week. I'll have a guest on. Should be good.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.